We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast, talking Oklahoma City Thunder basketball and the wider NBA. Sam Presti said, lower the hatch, load up the cannon, and get the tank out rolling. Catch new episodes after each Thunder game and every Sunday night. This is a house of learning doctors. Follow the Uncontested on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to catch new content as it drops. I mean, a cat and a dog connected together? This is Ludor. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested podcast. Little bonus episode for you guys today. If you've listened to our Sunday night slash Monday morning episode, you would have heard this. But with the season officially being over, we're changing our podcast schedule up just a bit. We still have the typical Sunday night, 9 p.m. Central time live stream on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Then throughout the week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we will be live on the Locker Room app, hanging out, taking questions. Our Wednesday night Locker Room is actually going to be about a 45-minute to an hour-long actual podcast show, so that'll be fun for you guys to join if you're interested. But tonight, Monday night, Nick Crane went on the Locker Room app, talked a little bit about Thunder exit interviews from today, draft prospects, tiebreakers, the lottery, all that good stuff, the Clippers win as he was not on the Sunday night episode, to, to break that stuff down with us. So I wanted to throw you guys a little bonus pod today. It's only about 30 minutes or so of Nick on the Locker Room app taking questions. So hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and join us Wednesday night on the Locker Room app as we start our player grade series. Should be a blast. So we will talk to you guys then and enjoy the episode. All right, we'll kick things off. Uh, Cameron has a, a pretty good question here in the chat. Um, any major highlights from exit interviews? So kind of surprisingly, obviously season ended last night with the Thunder getting a W over the Clippers. 
I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about that over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Kind of a big deal um, as they shift from a share of the third best odds to a share of the fourth best odds. Um, yeah, exit interviews were were less than 12 hours later, typically. Um, obviously, the Thunder in the playoffs, but there's there's usually, I, I feel like, a day or two between the season actually ending and then exit interviews, albeit historically in the past, exit interviews had been in person. Um, so it kind of makes sense to give people a couple of days to plan accordingly to make it up to the peak for those exit interviews. But this year it was immediately after they started at 9am this morning. Um, we kind of thought it was going to go quick, rapid fire, you know, 10, 15 minutes per player, multiply that by, you know, 16, the 15 guys plus Mark, um, figured it would just be a couple hour ordeal. And ultimately, um, I think Charlie Brown was one of the last guys. He was going around 5.30. So, I mean, it was a, it was a full day ordeal. I was popping in and out, um, listening to some of the avails. Um, I would say the, the overall theme, just to get back to Cameron's questions or the major highlights, um, just continued kind of praise for the front office. I feel like even the guys that didn't play a whole lot or didn't have huge roles or only spent a couple seasons with the team um, had great things to say. You know, everything from Tony Bradley, who's only been with the team since the trade deadline, had talked about you know his first impression with Mark Dagnall. Kind of went back and told a story that um, the first time he had talked to him, he was just shocked with how much um, Dagnall actually knew about him as as a person as a player, what kind of game he had. So clearly Mark had been watching film and, and getting familiar with, with his new big man. And and for him, that just meant a lot, you know, especially a guy like Tony Bradley. I don't know if you guys recall last summer, um, he bounced around a lot. I think he was traded twice or three times in a 48 hour period. He was, it was traded as part of a larger deal. And then he was ultimately flipped for another second round pick. So just hopping around, um, throughout his careers, never had real consistent minutes, you know, especially with the Sixers this year, with them being uh, a playoff team, obviously secured that number one spot. He was behind both Embiid um, and Dwight Howard. So he was the third string center, um, although he was a backup in Oklahoma City and had a few DNPs down the stretch. It was just something that, you know, he he praised the team for the opportunity that he got. He felt that, and this is for a lot of guys just going along the line of themes, um, the way that the coaching staff and the front office trusted guys to really do whatever they wanted to, you know, um, Isaiah Roby talked a lot about this, just being allowed to run the point center position, you know, be a ball handler, do things that he historically hasn't been able to do in the NBA to, to grow as a player and just kind of see what he can do. Um, Tony Bradley had similar comments, you know, not only did he get an opportunity to play, but he felt that the coaching staff gave him the ability to really show what he's good at. And he talked about his passing ability and his ability to, to dribble the ball, you know, make, make decisions, be an actual playmaker in the post. And so that was, that was one example of players kind of talking through um, positive things in relation to the team. Mike Muscala was another one that, you know, obviously got super emotional. Um, He was asked essentially, you know, you had the chance to, be traded to a contender and go play for a playoff team and use your three point shooting ability and your size to go help a team, maybe win a championship, but you sort of indicated to the front office that Oklahoma city is where you wanted to be. Uh, and, and they were, and even before they said they were transparent and said that, Hey, 
after the trade deadline, if you stick around, your role is going to be very, very limited. He kept saying they told him, you know, be ready to play. But the second half of the season was really going to be allowing young guys to get minutes. And, you know, with Shea out, with Al Horford out around that same time, I think they just predicted, like, let's let's let these young guys get some burn, um, see what kind of talent we have. And Mike, just being transparent, you're not going to play much, if at all, in a lot of these games. And Mike was still willing to stick around on the team. He said he really just wanted to find a way to impact the, the locker room, even if he's not on the court playing. And he got emotional, was tearing up. He said, you know, since I've been in Oklahoma City – um, just the the vision and the the way the front office operates and their values just align with his and it's it's almost been a life changing opportunity and it's it's interesting because he wasn't like a scrub he wasn't a no name kind of guy before coming to Oklahoma City. Um, I'll touch on Kendrick Williams, Kendrick Kendrick Williams here in a second, who is a guy that Oklahoma City really turned his career around. But Mike Muscala was a guy that had played for several quality teams before coming to Oklahoma City and had a real role. And, you know, with all that said, he was just still so excited to be part of this team and, and said, you know, 100%, I want to be back next year. I don't know if it's in the cards, but if they give me the opportunity, I'd love to. Um, I mentioned Kenrich Williams talked about how the, the front office gave him the ability to really be himself this year. And he felt like he was more natural on the floor, um, able to, to do different things, play multiple positions um Poku said similar things you know it, it's not the first time he's played point guard or, or kind of a guard position in general he's done that for a good portion of his his younger career but this is the first chance in the NBA late in the season he's had that opportunity and and that was an overall theme everyone was very very complimentary of the front office the coaching staff the flexibility the trust they instilled in all of these players and you know that's that's positive Oklahoma City's not a huge free agency destination so Anytime you hear things like this, guys talk all the time. It, it's it's almost every single time the Thunder acquire a player. You know, they obviously have their their press conference with the media shortly after, and one of the first questions they're always asked is, you know, what's the perception of Oklahoma City from an outsider point of view? And almost every person says, oh yeah, I'm I'm actually already close with so and so, or I played with so and so in the past and have this relationship with them. Um, texted them when I got traded, just kind of asking about Oklahoma City. And it's always positive. And of course, they have a great first impression once they actually come to the team. And, you know, for for free agency, I mean, obviously, over the last 12 years, this team's been around, haven't been a huge free agency destination. But if if they can land a couple huge names in the draft and keep Shea Gilgis-Alexander around and they look like a young, exciting team that others around the league want to play for, maybe maybe that flips and maybe these small markets start having uh, a little bit better success. And so... Um, yeah, it, that, that was one of the main overall themes. Clay had a question, kind of a follow-up on Mike getting emotional. Um, he asked, is that a guy who's going to stay around? Like I said, Mike was asked that directly. Like you, you stuck it out this year and wanted to stay in Oklahoma city at the trade deadline. Do you want to see your, like, do you see yourself here next year? And he said, 100%, if, if they give me the opportunity, I would love to be back here in OKC. And I, I, I don't know if that's something that, the Thunder will entertain. Obviously, he's played the last couple of seasons on a veteran minimum, so it's not like the Thunder wouldn't keep him around for the money. I think it truly comes down to a roster spot. They, they're they going to have four picks in the top 35 this year. Obviously, um, those first-round picks are very variable. It could be picks one and five. It could be picks 
seven and, and 18. Um, but, but they're going to have two first rounders and they're going to have two picks in the top five of the second round as well. Um, that golden state warriors pick did not convey. They didn't finish in the top 10 of the league. And so that turns into the Minnesota second rounder that they have. And that pick will be, I believe 34, 35 and Oklahoma cities will be, I'm sorry, theirs will be 36 and Oklahoma cities will be 34. I need to double check on that, but essentially, um, four, four picks in the top 35 or 36. Um, if, if their draft luck is anything like it's been, um, with Teo Maladon, obviously you can get some quality guys early in the second round. And so if you're really planning on using all four of your draft picks and not packaging those or making any moves with those picks, I mean, that's four roster spots that are going to be uh, filled by, by those rookies. And there's only a handful of guys that are going to be going into free agency. Um, you've got Sfi who's entering restricted free agency. You've got um, Tony Bradley, who's entering restricted free agency, uh, and a couple other names as well. Um, even guys like Josh Hall, do you bring him back on a two-way deal or do you try to sign him to a full contract? They just signed Charlie Brown Jr. Um, obviously, Charlie Brown, um, um, as well as Gabriel Deck, are on sort of non-guaranteed deals. Like if you really had to cut one of those guys, it wouldn't hurt um, your your cap space and, and Kiwi in the chat also said Denver second round. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some other picks as well. I was just kind of referring to what, what feel like locks, right? There's always those second round guys um, that like, like Devin Hall and Kevin Hervey guys in the past later in the second round don't always make the team. They, they almost feel like they're drafted for developmental purposes to play for the blue, which will be fun to watch next year. But it really does feel like there's going to be four guys in the draft that'll be signed to full-time NBA contracts um silver another good point um there's uh, Mitchich, the the guy that they got in that um trade with the sixers um over the the off season that's another guy that's been rumored to already be in, in talks with the thunder to sign a deal and come play similar to to gabriel dick all that to say you know that's a lot of rambling but there's there's not going to be a ton of open roster spots and if mike muscala wants to come back i think obviously it makes sense for him to if Al Horford is traded, here's another thing. Al Horford's got a huge contract. It's likely not going to be a one-to-one trade. Um, if you take two or three guys back and Al Horford, obviously you can do some waving and some cutting, but at the end of the day, roster spots are going to be hard to come by. And um, Mike Muscala would be a great veteran. I think he'd be the only guy over the age of 30 on the team after Al Horford is traded next season, um, turning 30 years old. But um, and you've got to have that veteran, but at the end of the day, if, if Sam Presti's objective is to, um, you know, sign just a bunch of young guys and give them more burn, you, you never know. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of it ha- has to do with where these picks fall, right? If, if it's picks seven and 18, I think the Thunder have a similar season next year where they, um, run a bunch of young talent. They, they don't do too well and they look to, to draft their, franchise changing guy the next summer but if they get like picks one and five there was a mock draft and a couple of sims recently that that have thunder at one and five if they got like a Cade Cunningham and a Jonathan Kuminga to go along with SGA and Dort and Bays like that might change things too maybe the thunder try to be more competitive next year and and fight for a play-in spot if they do that format again maybe they think they can gun for for the 10 seed and the, the rebuild's expedited so I think this draft is pivotal um, but a lot to say, Mike Muscala, not sure if we'll see him around next year. Although I think 
both sides would like to. There's just a lot of logistical things to work out. Um, Cameron has a question in the chat. Should the Thunder trade some of their picks this draft since I believe they have five or so? And it's unlikely they have so many roster spots next year. Um, I'll, I'll invite you on stage if you want to talk through this as well, Cameron. But I, I think, I think again, it depends on where the picks fall. If you get one in five, um, maybe you're comfortable selecting all the way through with the way things are now. If you get something outside the top five, maybe you don't even land a top five pick. Maybe you try to package those early second rounders with maybe Miami's pick and try to move up a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's a question of where those, those lottery picks fall and um, you know, how that works out for them. What, what do you think, Cameron? Yeah, I think absolutely. The Thunder should trade some of their picks. Um, I think especially if Sam Presti really believes in a guy, maybe at like the start of the second round and he won't be there at the end of the second round. If you put together some of those second round picks, I think that definitely could be something they could explore. Um, I remember last year with Fit Kretschke, um, Sam Presti obviously traded up and got him uh, from the Wizards. So I think if they do something similar to that, uh, that could be definitely. Yeah, Vit's another guy I hadn't even mentioned. That's another name that um, has also been rumored to to be signing a deal in Oklahoma City. It's another name, and, and things just keep getting more and more uh, kind of convoluted on, on who's going to be on this roster next season. My, my follow-up question for you, um, if Oklahoma City does indeed trade some of their picks, would you rather it be to move up in the draft or would it be maybe some sort of sign and trade or um, maybe, maybe a, a team like the Lakers or another contender has a young guy. I know Taylor Horton Tucker's due for a, an extension, but similar situation where they have a young guy, um, but would rather use a draft pick on somebody else for a cheap contract to avoid re-signing a guy and just getting another body in there. A lot of these these contenders are going to be a crunch on cap space. Would you prefer to trade for a guy that's already in the league or use some of those picks to conglomerate? That's an interesting question. Um, And I think it really depends where the Thunder um, kind of land in the draft. So I think if they land with one of those ideal scenarios with like a top five or two top five picks um, and they're really going to start trying to build for the next couple of years, then I think absolutely you go trade for a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker uh, or really just any other guys in the league because with them you're getting a you know guaranteed talent who's uh, who's actually going to be able to contribute to your team in a couple of years because I know Taylor Horton Tucker brings uh, just incredible talent on both ends of the floor especially on defense and I think that would be a great guy uh, for us to get but yeah just players like him I think they'll be ready to contribute in a year or two compared to uh, maybe some of those late first round picks or early second round picks really won't be able to contri- uh, contribute early on. So I think it really depends where the Thunder land in the in the lottery. I think if they're ready to start contending in a year or two, I think you go and trade for a guy. But if you want to start getting your stars in the, in a couple of years, then I think uh, you stick with those draft picks and uh, just go for the cheaper guys, I guess. Most definitely. And and. I want to talk a little bit about the news that dropped today regarding the coin flip for that four or five uh, tiebreaker. It's interesting because in years past, they've done a full on almost like mini lottery show. Like the, the year the Pelicans got Zion, they were actually in a three way tie with the Mavs and someone else. I want to say the Kings maybe for 
the seventh best odds, and they did a full-on lottery show for that tiebreaker and several others. And we hadn't really heard how they were going to do tiebreakers this year. And Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN, he's he's the former Draft Express guy, really, really, really knows his prospects. If you want any sort of draft coverage, obviously outside of the uncontested, I highly recommend uh, looking at his stuff. But he he broke today that it's going to be a coin flip. I don't know how big this is going to be televised. It's going to be sort of middle of the day, he said. So I don't know if ESPN will pick it up or if it'll be like a series on the jump. If you guys have heard anything on that, I'd be interested to hear it. But essentially, if if Oklahoma City wins the flip, they get four. If they lose the flip, they get five. And that does have pretty significant implications on their picks because if they land at four – the worst pick they could get is eight. And even then it's like a 2.4% chance. And so you'd really be looking at something like, you know, one through seven. Whereas um, if they land at five, they have a small chance at nine, a higher chance at eight. And it really kind of pushes their, their floor back a little bit. Not to mention when it comes to the, the number one pick odds, it's only like a two or 3% swing, but, but your, your chances at K do decrease a little bit. Um, so that, that, that win against the Clippers, I don't think it's going to come back to necessarily bite the thunder in the butt at the end of the day, like they could have tied for third and still gotten the fourth best odds and lost that tiebreaker. This um, but nonetheless, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal when it comes to the, the, the floor for me, like the, the fact that you could get the ninth pick theoretically. Um, it's also interesting. Vegas is so good at calculating win totals in the season. If you went back and looked at the start of the season, the Thunder were projected 22 and a half wins. They finished at 20. Someone like the Washington Wizards, they were projected at 33 and a half. They finished at 34. Like it is, it is wild how, how accurate Vegas is on a lot of these things. But uh, all that to say, this team had 19 wins at the trade deadline, finished with 22. Um, I'd be curious your guys' thoughts. Like outside of just playing the young guys more, obviously you don't have Al, you don't have Shea. Like what was the biggest difference in the second half of the season for you? Like what, what, what was the biggest thing that really turned the season around? theoretically in a negative way, but really in a positive way for the draft. Yeah. So I think it's just really just general veteran presence on the team. Um, during the, like the exit interviews, there was like that one moment. Um, and, uh, and then Kenrich Williams commented about it later. And he's like, uh, you know, I'm kind of older than most of the guys. And I know Kenrich Williams is only 26 years old. Um, so he was basically acting as that, uh, veteran presence kind of based on what I know. Um, and really guys like Al Horford, Mike Muscala, although they were there, they weren't really out there on the court. So I think just general lack of veteran presence, um, that's kind of what led to the fun. Because even, even head coach uh, Mark Dagnall, he's a pretty young guy as well. So I just think just general overall um, experience uh, just led to the Thunder losing games because uh, pretty much every night you're going to go against multiple veterans, multiple stars on most teams, especially when you're playing playoff teams. So I think uh, just not having a, a veteran or multiple veterans um, just really hurt them as far as winning, but did help them with the draft. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things like basketball, not even NBA. Basketball is a game of runs. Um, a lot of being a great team is being able to stop a run and swing momentum back in your favor. I mean, if you, I don't care who you are, if if you allow an eighteen to two run in any sort of game, like there's a good chance you're going to lose. And the great teams don't let that happen. They have veterans that say, "This is stopping now." Listen, guys, we're getting a stop on defense. We are scoring a bucket on offense. And they and they flip the script, right? In Oklahoma City, with with them rolling out, I mean, they had they had nights where their average lineup age was, you know, just over twenty years old. I mean, it's they were playing multiple nineteen year olds. Like last night against the Clippers, it was it was all these young young guys slash two way guys slash guys that were on ten day contracts just just weeks before. And it's tough. I mean, this is some of their first real NBA run. And when you're playing against a team like the Clippers, um, although they, they ended up with a win and they were playing the Clippers B and C team, like it wouldn't have been shocking if they're at the end of the game, they would have ultimately lost just because it's hard to win down the stretch. And, and on the flip side of that, it's it's A, it's hard to um, flip a run when you're on the, the backside of it, but it's also hard to get on a run and keep that momentum whenever you're um, whenever you're a, such a young team and silver in the chat, some of the starting lineups were younger than the college starting lineups. And, and that's, that's true. A lot of those teams, even like in the NCAA tournament, um, a lot of these teams that were playing really, really well had average ages of, you know, 21, 22, sometimes 23 years old. And Oklahoma city was rolling out much younger lineups. And I think that brings us to an interesting point that, you know, with, with Alexei Pokashevsky, and a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads when Oklahoma City traded up to take him at 17. Obviously, he was a huge boomer bust guy when you're seven foot or seven one, whatever he's listed at. Um, and you can shoot the ball and you can and you can handle. It's it's intriguing, but at the same time, he was kind of playing in the B league of of his overseas team over there in Greece, and it was a risky pick. And at the end of the day. I think Sam Presti had the mindset of, look, this guy is going to be younger than a lot of the guys in the 2021 class. You look at most of the guys going in the lottery, Poku's younger than. And I, I would argue if Pokashevsky with what teams have seen. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed from him was in this upcoming draft. I think he goes top 
seven or eight, no question. And I think you could argue he goes top five. I don't know if you take him over Kuminga. That would be the one guy that you might, just because he's also kind of a boomer bust guy. He's got the frame. He's pretty raw. Um, Cameron, I don't know about you or anyone in the chat that wants to pipe up or anyone that wants to join us on stage here, but if Poku was in the 2021 NBA draft, where do you go? The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. I would say he goes top eight, probably. Um, I still think he goes behind the top five guys just because I know Kaminga brings a lot of value um, just kind of on both ends of the floor. And he's just, he like Poku, like you said, he's just a very raw prospect. Um, but I, I think he brings value on defense, which is just something Poku doesn't bring. Um, and then Poku, I think Scotty Barnes at six, I think Poku still goes behind him just because Scotty Barnes is probably the best defender in this class. Um, and much like Kaminga and many of the other guys in the top five, I think. Uh, Jonathan, or sorry, Scotty Barnes. I think Scotty Barnes, um, just just because of his defensive value, um, and then he also has offensive upside. I think he also goes over Poku, but I think after that, I think Poku probably goes seven. Then, um, just after those six guys, just because they're better on defense, and obviously Poku has not been able to prove himself on defense at least of yet. And then, obviously overseas, he wasn't. Yeah, I think I think. Um... Poku has obviously has the defensive ability. I mean, when you're when you're that big and you move the way he does, like like there is a clear high ceiling on that end of the floor. He's he's proven to be a shot blocker. I think he broke the Thunder rookie record with six blocks. I want to say, um, so he's he's definitely got the potential. It's just does it come around? And Absolutely. offensively, obviously, he's got the the range. You bring up a prospect that I'm. Super high on. Um, I think he is probably the consensus sixth best player. Like, like if you're, I, I know most mock drafts have um, Keon out of Tennessee going um, sixth overall. I think Scotty Barnes is is the clear number six for for some of the reasons you mentioned. He is outside of Evan Mobley and maybe outside of Cade from a cont- potential standpoint because Cade is just a humongous point guard. I think he's got 
defensive play of the year written all over him. His his defense literally has him as a top 10 player. He's a very subpar shooter. Um, his offense did not come together like people thought it would. His his freshman year at, at Florida State before declaring. like He is a top 10 prospect solely on his defense. His switchability, he's 6'9". He's that jumbo forward, that Jason Tatum type. You know, I can play the three, I can play the four, I can I can hopefully stretch the floor one day offensively. But from a defensive standpoint, like he is a bulldog. And and as like kind of unsexy as this sounds, because everyone wants the flashy score, the Jalen Green that's that's an instant 15, 20 points a game as a rookie. He reminds me a lot of Anthony Edwards, speaking of Jalen Green. But um going back to Scotty Barnes, can you imagine a lineup where you have SGA who clearly has a ton of defensive upside. You've got Lou Dort and you've got Scotty Barnes as your one, two, three. Oh like that is, that is a, that's a lineup that's hard to score. Yeah, that's just, that's unreal. I think what, if, if the Thunder gets Scotty Barnes, really just the only position they have to address is the center position. Um, and if Baisley can do what he's been saying he wants to do for the for his first two couple of years, uh, he always talks in the post game interviews. He's like, I want to be the best defensive guy. Um, just on any given night, he says he wants to be able to guard every position. So I think if Baisley can really do that and turn into an elite defender, which I have questions about now, but I do believe he will become a better defender. Um, but I think if Baisley can do that, you all you you have Dort. You have Scotty Barnes in this potential scenario. Um, and then SGA with his potential on defense. I think that's a really, really good team for sure. Yeah, Bays, Bays had a stretch there where he was being assigned um, the opposing team's best player. He's guarding guys like Luka and some other you know, really, really high-level kind of jumbo guards. And he did a, a decent job. I think he's got a, a high upside on the defensive end as well. So that's a... Really good point. We'll, we'll wrap up here with a couple of questions. Silver asks, what are we looking for with Poku in year two? What about Teo? Um, I think for both Poku and Teo, um, it's fun watching rookies and, and just kind of seeing stats, right? When you're looking at two 19-year-old rookies that both are, are coming from overseas, which is a super hard transition in itself, especially during COVID. Like these kids went from, you know, playing overseas to like moving to a different country in the middle of a pandemic. That's, that's hard in itself. Um, I think for them this season, more than anything, it was what kind of stats can they put up? What kind of things can we see from them to show that potential? Whereas year two, it's going to be more about, how do those stats actually impact the game, impact winning? Because you look at Teo's stats, he had a ton of awesome games. He, he shot a bunch of threes, made a bunch of threes. It wasn't the greatest clip, but it's still promising. Um, great, great passer, had some some really flashy passes, even from, from game one. From the preseason, he had some great passes, but he has a lot of turnovers. Um, he had quite a few games where he put up a bunch of points, but may have not been the most efficient and his, his on-court numbers just aren't great. Same with Poku. We saw him break a ton of rookie records. He's obviously seven foot. He does a lot of things that most seven footers don't do, but how much does that impact winning? I think for, it was easy for us to, you know, <laughs> the last five, six years, you look at the Detroit Pistons and you look at their 
statistics and you see a guy and it's like, like Luke Kennard, for example, maybe he averages 16 points a game. And you're like, you know what? Luke Kennard might be really good. He's averaging 16 points a game. He's an awesome shooter. He's a six, five kind of combo guard. Great. He goes to the Clippers and he's been okay. Right. Like, like he obviously his role changes, um, fewer shots. It, it's like, it goes back to that empty stats. And it's easy to look at the Detroit Pistons of the world and the Sacramento Kings of the world, you know, the Knicks in the past, like, yeah, someone's got to score on that team. Someone's got to rebound. It's easy. Like, like how much stock can you put in those numbers? And I think it's the same for Oklahoma city this year. Like it was great to see Poku and Teo put up those numbers, but I want to see that impact the game, whether that's impacting winning. We'll see. We'll see if the Thunder are trying to win games next year. or is trying to develop more. But I want to see their numbers actually make an impact rather than just having those raw numbers. Right. Um, I saw I saw a chart earlier today that showed like defensive points added and offensive points added. Um, and it, it was Teo who was practically very last, the, like the very last yeah. for our team. So yeah, I agree with you with that. I think. I mean, obviously he's young. I think he's eighteen or 19 yeah um so i think as he grows as a player and just develops maturity i think he'll improve in that area but yeah definitely this year uh we had a lot of empty stats to be filled especially with sga door and Baisley missing so much time yeah um so i think yeah i agree with you yeah and same with moses brown like like <laughs> yeah i don't care who you are going in and putting up the numbers he had last night in that 2020 game he had earlier in the season like that that's that's hard to do. I don't care if you're. I don't care if you're going and playing at the local YMCA in a forty-minute game. Like that's hard to do. Um, it's just a matter of consistency because he had a few just outstanding games, and then there's games where you're like, "Oh, I forgot Moses Brown was playing." He finishes with like six point six rebounds, but but nonetheless, he he had a, a solid season. Um, I think we had some good things from him as well. Going down to questions here, a couple more. Who's more valuable, Baisley or Jerome? Kind of a loaded question. I think valuable around the league still Baisley just because he's a 6'9", long, athletic guy that, in my opinion, should have been playing small forward his entire career, whereas the Thunder like to play him at the stretch four slash small ball five. I think he's more of a small forward. I think with his ball handling and his his shooting stroke, it hasn't gone in a bunch yet, but I think he's got the skills to be a solid uh, small forward, um, just because of his intangibles and his length, I think he's got more value than Ty. I also think that Ty Jerome's ceiling might be a high-level backup guard that shoots the three at a high rate and can play both point guard and shooting guard, which is not a bad thing. Like, like every team needs those kind of guys, but I still think Darius Baisley projects as a starter in this league, whether it's in Oklahoma City or whether it's somewhere else. So I would go with Baisley there. Clay Sally says, give us a first round upset. Oh, this is really, really hard. Um, geez. As much as I want to say Mavs over Clippers, Clay Sally knows dang well that I'm not picking that one for, for a variety of reasons. I, I could not stand the Mavericks going over the Clippers. Um, give me... Give me Blazers over Nuggets. Nothing against wow. the Nuggets. Nothing against the Nuggets at all. I know they've been awesome with Jamal and Murray out. I know I know that they I mean, Aaron Gordon's been been 
pretty solid for them. He just kind of fits there. Jokic is an obvious MVP. Um, but something about this team just feels like their ceiling was really lower without Murray. He obviously, for the most part, carried them throughout the playoffs last year. And I just wonder, in a seven-game series, can Jokic outlast the scoring of, like, a Damian Lillard at CJ McCollum? Like, Jokic can be great, but Michael Porter Jr. has averaged, like, 25 points a game since uh, Jamal Murray went down. Can he continue that in a playoff series? I don't know. And I just think, and, and Clay's spot on in the chat, luck might run out for Denver. I think he's right. Like, I just don't know if this team can sustain a seven-game series against a Blazers team that I think we all know has the offensive firepower to to really upset somebody. In fact, I know all of us watched it happen in a playoff series just a couple So we'll see what oh, yeah. happens there. Um, all right. I think that is everything. Uh, appreciate you guys jumping on. We'll post this as a, a podcast here shortly. So if you guys want to go back and listen or share with your friends, feel free to do that. Thanks for jumping on. And we will be doing this every Monday and Wednesday along with our standard group pod. See you guys. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.